Well, good morning. Our scripture for today is from the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And we'll read the first four verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. In the classic movie, The Sound of Music, Maria, the character played by Julie Andrews, uh, teaches the Vaughn Trapp children the song Do Re Mi. Remember that, remember that song? Start in the very beginning, a very good place to start. Well, that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to start in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, the first four verses, the very beginning of God's word to us. Before we do that, though, a little bit of a background. The Bible is made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It's uh, written by a variety of authors over several hundred years. There's all sorts of material. There's poetry, wisdom literature like the Proverbs. Um, you have prophecies. Um, you have historical records and genealogies, parables, letters to churches and to people, specific situations. Um, you have uh, eyewitness accounts like the Gospels, stories about God, about life, about human beings, and certainly stories that point us to how we can know Jesus Christ personally. We can know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we believe that the Bible is God's word, and we want to be people of the word. We want to be people who are immersed in God's word, where, where God's word begins to shape our, our priorities and our values and our, what we believe and what we think and how we act, how we treat other people. We want to be people of God's word. And so toward that end, this fall, we're going to be reading scripture together through the course of eight weeks, immersing ourselves in God's truth. And a portion of scripture that we'll be reading this fall is the Pentateuch. Now, what is the Pentateuch? Well, Pentateuch is a word that's comprised of two Greek words, penta, which means five, like in Pentagon, penta, and tuch, which means books or scrolls. So Pentateuch is simply saying the five books. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the first five books of the Bible lay the foundation on which the rest of Scripture stands. The very shape of the rest of the Old Testament would collapse were the Pentateuch to be removed. And the structure of New Testament thought and theology would be barely intelligible without it. In the Pentateuch, we see the creation of all things. And we see the fall. We see the judgment of a great flood. We see the call of Abraham and the covenant, the promise that God makes to him and with him. That through him, through his, through his offspring, he's going to bless the whole world. We see the formation of the nation of Israel, the exodus from slavery in Egypt, the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law, and stories of God's faithfulness and power and love. It's all there in the first five books. And so this morning we're going to start in the first book, the first chapter, the first verse. And through the course of the message today, we're going to be pulling out four foundational truths about God. So let's take a look. In the beginning, God. Four words. In the beginning, God. In other words, God was, God is, God always will be. God is preexistent. God is eternal. Before him, there is nothing. 
God is. In the beginning, God. It's a foundational truth that we can pull out of it, is that God is the center of everything. That, that God is, to, is, is, is at the center of who we are and, and what we do and what this world is all about. You know, our solar system is what scientists call heliocentric. Helio stands for sun, sun-centric. In other words, the solar system, in the solar system, everything revolves around the sun, right? The planets do. Sun gives us light. Uh, without it, nothing would live. It's, it's central. Now, for some years, many people thought that the Earth was the center of the solar system, that everything revolved around us, our planet, which caused some problems and misunderstandings and, and how the world is and how it works and that weren't solved until we came to the understanding that the Earth is not the center of the solar system, but the sun is. And one of the big problems people have today is that we make the same kind of mistake in our spiritual world. And, and what we make the spiritual center of our lives. We tend to be egocentric. Everything revolves around me, around us. And so we want a God who revolves around us, caters to us. A Bible that confirms our thoughts and beliefs. And a religion that justifies and rationalizes our actions. But the Bible says life is not to be egocentric. It is to be theocentric. God is the center of our existence. He is like the sun of our, of our world, our, our universe, our solar system. In the beginning, God. Back in the 1980s, Rick Warren, a pastor, wrote a, a book that became a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list, The Purpose Driven Life. Maybe you've read it. Um, it has, its very first lines are this. It begins with, it's not about you. And that's right. It's not about us. Things don't revolve around what we think, what we want, what's most comfortable, most best for us. Just like there were a lot of things in this earth that did not make sense until we realized that the sun was the center of our solar system. So there are many things in our world and our lives that will not make difference, that won't be right. Our marriage, our family, our jobs, our religion until we understand that life does not revolve around us, that God, in fact, is to be the center of our lives. That's the first foundational truth we want to pull out of here. Let's move on to the next one. The Bible lets us know that a lot of things about God. It's the revelation. It tells us about who God is and what he's about, what he's like, what his will is. We can't get into all that right now. But one thing it says right off the start is that in the scriptures that there's one God. One true God. But there's also something else that we begin to see early on, even right here in Genesis chapter 1. And that is, is that there's also somehow a plurality in this one God. For example, the very word that the Bible uses of God here in Genesis 1.1, the Hebrew word is Elohim, and it's in the plural form. Verse 2 speaks of the Spirit of God. This is God, and yet somehow also distinct from God. Later in chapter 1, verse 26, this Elohim God says, Let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. So the plural is used three times. Us, our, our. It's almost as if God here in Genesis 1 is having a conversation with himself. A conference with himself. And, and he is. 
For right here in the first words of the first book of the Bible, we find these telltale signs of one of the most important things we learn about God in all the scriptures, that he is a triune God, three in one, one in three, a triune God. And we see this fleshed out in the scriptures over and over again. Now, some are quick to point out, and they are right, that the word Trinity is not used anywhere in the Bible. But the teaching and the activity of the Trinity is found throughout the scriptures. It teaches very clearly that there's this one God who exists eternally, in the beginning God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls God his Father. God calls him his Son. Yet not only is the Father God, but John 1, 1 through 2 makes it very clear that Jesus also is God. Listen to this from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Remember in Genesis chapter 1? There's God, and how does he create? He speaks the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's other places as well. Luke chapter 3, for example. Jesus' baptism. Jesus is present. The Holy Spirit is present. The voice from heaven, God the Father, is present. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, of course, uh, the epistles, the New Testament uh, uh, letters, uh, over and over again, Paul, Peter, John, they affirm God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but over and over it clearly teaches us that God is a triune God who exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is no small matter because the Christian belief in a triune God is one of many things that separate us from other religions. I mean, many religions believe in a God or several gods, but not a three-in-one God. But only Christians believe in a triune God who brings us salvation. A God, the Father, who loves us and sends God, the Son, to die on the cross to save us and to rise again so that God, the Holy Spirit, could come and live in us and change us and bring us to faith. No other religion believes or teaches that. Think, for example, of what is probably the single most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Right here in the most basic verse on salvation, we've got the Trinity to bring about our salvation. So it's important that we recognize and understand this truth. We need to be clear on who saves us. It's like if you're in trouble on the side of the road and you call 911 and the dispatcher says, the police are on their way. Um, you're unfamiliar with how things work. You're from a different country, perhaps. And they say the police are coming and you say, well, there's a lot of cars zooming by on the interstate. Um, how am I going to know which one is here to save me? And they say, well, there's the car is going to be black and white. There'll be a siren on top. There'll be an officer with a uniform and they're going to have a badge. That's the one to look for. That's the one who will save you. We need to be clear on who is going to save us. And the scripture tells us that God works, this three-in-one God works to bring us to the place where we can know him personally, and where we can be forgiven of our sins. Three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, many of you know that I was on sabbatical this past summer, and I'm very thankful for that, a wonderful experience. Uh, one of the highlights was I got to visit missionaries, uh, and I visited uh, Colin and Connie Christie uh, from our church in Turkey. They're in an area called Cappadocia. It's about an hour and a half flight east of Istanbul, a really interesting area geographically, very dry, very deserty, uh, and um, 
formed by a lot of the volcanoes over the years. And so there's volcanic ash and kind of rock mixed together and sandstone. And, and so over the centuries, people would carve these churches and monasteries uh, or, or, or dwellings out of the rock. And so for so one day, Colin and Connie, they're in there in the picture. We hiked up into a valley where there were all these monasteries and churches that were carved out of the rock uh, back in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth centuries. Uh, and there's there's the outside of one. You just saw the inside of one just a minute ago. There's the inside of a of a, of a chapel. Uh, just fascinating that these people just carved this out of rock over the centuries. And it was very important and very kind of cool for me because um, back in seminary during church history, uh, I was I had to re- write a research paper and I chose the topic of the doctrine of the Trinity. And it so happens uh, that uh, the three probably most influential theologians on the doctrine of the Trinity back in the second, third century were these three guys called the Cappadocian Fathers. They lived in this area uh, and they wrote. There was Gregory uh, of Nancius, Gregory of Nyssa and Basil the Great. That's a cool name. Basil the Great, you know. Uh, and these three guys wrote about the doctrine of the Trinity and they defended the doctrine of the Trinity. They articulated the doctrine of the Trinity from scriptures and from theology against the heresy that was present in the time that God, the father created God, the son, that God created Jesus, that, that Jesus wasn't eternal and preexistent. And so these three guys, the Cappadocian fathers wrote very powerfully and per, per, persuasively about the doctrine of the Trinity. And one of them, Gregory of Nancius, says, when I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So a foundational truth that, we, that makes us distinct and different from other faiths and religions is the doctrine of this, of this idea that there's a three-in-one God, God, Father, and Son, working in conjunction to bring salvation to the world. Let's move on to the next foundational truth. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He made everything that there is. Back to John 1, verse 3. Remember, that's where we talked about in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And verse 3 says, speaking of Jesus, this is the word, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything that has been, everything that was, everything that will be, was created, has been created, will be created by Jesus Christ, the, the word of God. And the only uncreated being is the one who created everything else. In the beginning, God, he made everything else out of nothing. Now, in Genesis 1.1, it says the word created is the Hebrew word bara, B-A-R-A, which means to create to initiate something new, not just to take a lump of clay and fashion it, but to create something out of nothing. And significantly, this word is only ever used of God, never of humankind. Only God can create something out of nothing. It's the Latin term ex nihilo, out of nothing. God made everything out of nothing, which sounds a little fantastical. But do you know what the alternative is to that? That everything just arose out of nothing. Randomly, no design, no purpose. Stephen Hawking, who uh, passed away recently, was a world-renowned physicist, and he wrote in one of his best-selling books, The Grand Design, he wrote this, The universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason that there is something rather than nothing, why the universe exists and why we exist. Spontaneous creation. 
that everything just came into being just with no reason, rhyme, just, just happened out of, out of nothing. You know, last week I read a, a, where a Christian who used to be an atheist said, I didn't have enough faith to continue to believe that. You know, people can be critical of Christians for believing in a God who created the universe. But the alternative is that it all just arose out of nothing. The title of his book, Grand Des- The Grand Design, is very ironic because if it is indeed, as he says, that the universe just arose out of nothing and created itself, then there is no grand design. He also said, interestingly enough, it, it looks as if it was designed, but we know that it wasn't. What kind of argument is that? I don't know. There was no designer, he says. There is no design. There are only accidents and chances that somehow arose out of nothing. Now, we need to understand, why is Doug talking about it? We need to understand how important our, our, um, our view of origins is. What we believe about the doctrine of creation means one thing or another. Because beliefs have consequences. For instance, if God created you and me, our minds, our wills, our brains, our bodies, then we belong to him. If God created you and me, then we are not insignificant. No matter what we might think about ourselves, no matter what people might say about us, no matter our circumstances in life. David, knowing that God made him, said this in Psalm 139. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. If God made you, Scripture says that he did. His works are wonderful. Then you are wonderful because God made you. And if God created you, then your life and every life has meaning and purpose. On the other hand, if God did not create us, if every one of us is merely here by some cosmic accident, then it logically stands that we have no meaning or purpose at all. There is no reason to respect any life, to observe any kind of morality. The logical thing to do would be to just look out for ourselves. Because in that worldview, there is no purpose in a godless random universe. The atheist Bertrand Russell said it this way, unless you assume a God... The question of life's purpose is meaningless. So what we believe about the beginning, about who created everything and why, it's a huge issue because it will affect everything else we believe and do in our life. And the Bible makes it very clear from the beginning that God created. Now there's much, much more to say about God, what the scripture reveals about himself in the word. But there's one more thing I want to quickly jump at. It's in the first couple chapters of Genesis, and that is the idea that God is the redeeming God. And we see it in Genesis chapter 3 early on. Remember the story? God is judging Adam and Eve and the serpent, Satan, for their disobedience. And in verse 15 of chapter 3, God says to the serpent, to Satan, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed, your offspring, and her seed. And he, the seed, this, this seed, this offspring of Eve, he will crush you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. In other words, you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to hurt him. You're going to injure him. But he's going to crush your head. He will totally defeat you. And these words here in Genesis 
are what theologians call the proto-evangelium. It's the Latin word for the first gospel. It's the first indication in the Bible that God is going to send someone of the seed of Eve from the race of humanity who is going to crush the head of the serpent, of Satan, who has deceived us. And that this, this, this someone, this, this seed of Eve that God is going to send will get the victory over Satan and will put us right back uh, and, and make, us, make it avail, possible for us to be right again with God. And so what happens after this happens in, in Genesis 5, Adam and Eve are left the garden and we see these genealogies begin to pop up throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve and Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, so on and so forth. Why do we keep seeing them? And then we see it again in, in uh, other places in the Old Testament. And even in Matthew, it begins with a genealogy. Why? These genealogies all show us that the promise of God that he made back in Genesis 3.15 is coming to pass. That there is someone who's coming from this line of Eve who's going to, who is prophesied about, who's going to come and defeat Satan once and for all. We see just a few examples. Genesis 12. God tells Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through his seed. Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses tells Israel that one day there would be a prophet like him who will come, only greater whom they must listen to. Psalm 110. David says there's someone coming who would be his Lord. And yet some David, somehow David also calls him his son. He comes from his line. In Isaiah 53 prophesies that there will one who will come and the Lord will lay the iniquities of us all, the sins of us all on him. So throughout the Old Testament, these scriptures keep pointing forward from this, this, this promise in Genesis 3.15 toward this someone who will come and, and save us from sin and put right what was broken back in the fall, which is exactly what Jesus did. He was hurt by Satan. He was tortured. He was humiliated. He was killed. But Satan did not get the victory. Jesus defeated him once and for all. As Paul wrote, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, sometimes people read the Bible and they say it's just a bunch of random stories that don't make sense to them. Verses and things they can pull out, but it just doesn't make sense. It seems sort of random, just thrown together. But, but when we say that, we're missing out on the one unifying message that runs through it all. God created the world good. We ruin it with our sin. But God promises a Redeemer who will make us right with Him again. So if you want to summarize it in a simple way, God made things good. We messed it up, and we all are part of that. We continue to mess it up, but God sends someone, Jesus Christ, very God himself, to come and take our place on the cross to to forgive us of our sins and to defeat death once and for all. That's the story that all the scripture points towards. and We see the culmination of it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what we've got to see is this is not just the story of the Bible, but that's the story of our lives. God made us to know him and to live with him forever in heaven. But we must begin by acknowledging our need to be fixed, to be forgiven, to be made whole, to be made right with him. And it's all possible 
through Jesus Christ and putting our faith and trust in him. That's why God gives us uh, this book. So we could see what our lives are supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about making God the center. Because the only way to really make things work is to put God back where he's supposed to be, at the center, where our lives revolve around him. By following his son, Jesus Christ. By getting back to the meaning of the very first words of this book, in the beginning, God. God is the center. God is triune. God is the creator. And God, hallelujah, God is the redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you that it is truth. It is living and active. It is spirit. Um, We thank you for your promise in Isaiah 55 that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. And so, Lord, I humbly just ask that your spirit would uh, use uh, your word in the lives of each person here today. Father, we thank you um, that in the beginning you were, that through you all things have been created, uh, that, you are con- that you are the one constant unchanging things in our lives. We can trust in you and know that you're the same yesterday and today and forever. We thank you that you are not far removed from us, that you're active in our world, that through your spirit you speak to us, that we can know you personally. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to keep you at the center of our lives and to worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.